0: You're listening to Speechless, the new podcast from storytelling experts Marion Pasha and Simon Bucknell. Hit follow now to learn how to tell stories that change the world.
1: The phrase doing a TED Talk... Has somehow entered the lexicon in the last few years, has it not? Yeah. Have you done a TED talk, or that sounds a bit like a TED talk? Or I, I want to do a, an academic presentation, not a TED talk. It's amazing how the phrase TED and or TEDx, and we'll talk about the distinction between the two in a moment, has has become uh, so widely spread and widely understood. And and Mariam, you, you of course, uh, more than anyone I know, live and breathe and and, and exude. Uh, expertise in this realm, as originally the curator of and founder of TEDx East End, <clears throat> and, and then in more recent years curator of TEDx London and of course TEDx London Women, and now uh, Mariam has been confirmed as uh, a for for main TED uh, for the climate conference, supporting and helping with some of the creation around speakers for that conference. So, who better than Mariam to help demystify this world and and and. What it is as a curator that that uh, that she looks for in speakers, and perhaps also some insights around what can make for the most compelling speakers from a storytelling perspective and/or other. So, Marion, first of all, many people listening to this may well have a pretty good idea of what TED is about, but in case for the uninitiated, how do you describe to someone who is new to it or what TED is and represents? What's the what's the nutshell summary?
0: Yeah. First of all, my favorite pop culture phrase is thank you for coming to my TED talk. Um, that's my favorite <laughs> when I see that. Um, but what is it? So, you know, uh, I think most people are going to interact with TED in a couple of ways. But you're going to the thing you're going to be familiar with, or the thing you may have seen in passing or are these, you know, standalone? three to 18 minute videos of someone standing on a red carpet on a stage delivering a talk about a specific idea and it can be super varied so you could be talk- talking about giant squids you could be talking about healthcare, you could be talking about poverty you could be talking about climate change and so it's this really interdisciplinary model and um TED started out at this conference in California that was really focused on technology. And then in the last 30 years, it's really developed to become really a media brand um, that has talks and podcasts and it has events. And, it, and and I think for a lot of people, though, all of that stuff is kind of new. The thing that they know, the thing that maybe you've been sent to watch over lunchtime at work is a, is a TED Talk. And, mm. and um And then about 12, 13 years ago, TED did something, I mean, revolutionary in the sense that there were articles written about how this would be the end of the TED brand is they decided to just give their brand away. You know, um, they created this program called the TEDx program. And it was meant for people anywhere in the world to take the brand and the format and create local versions of TED conferences, highlighting ideas that were really from that region, from that area, from that locality. And it exploded, you know, They talk about it originally as being something they thought like maybe 100, 150 people would do. Now there are like 3,500 active licenses everywhere in the world. Wow. You know, it's in for some people what's happened is that the way that they understand TED is through TEDx. That's actually their way into the brand. It's a non-profit model. No one pays for anything here, Mm. but you have to abide by a series of rules and and, and formats and structures that help us make sure that there's like a consistency and people know what they're coming to. And then... You know, you and your local organising committee, who you kind of are, about ninety nine percent of the time are volunteers, come together and they create these TEDx experiences. And you know, they vary. I've I've met TEDx organisers who run TEDxes of twenty people in their living room every other week. I've you know, met TEDx organisers who've done things at burning man or on the top of everest or in a plane flying from one side of australia to another side of australia you know and then there's the more traditional ones like big auditoriums full of people you've got universities it is so diverse
1: and and it's clear that the the interest in ted and and the engagement in ted talks has exploded over over recent years and and I remember I very first heard about it in, I think, 2006 when they first started to stream yep. publicly some of the uh, talks from what was, until that point, a very exclusive event in California with the yeah, TED And it talks, was really focused
0: on industry. It was focused on mm. technology insiders. Like yes. They launched the CD-ROM at one of their conferences. I mean, like, at least 60% of people have never used a CD-ROM listening to this. But <laughs> those of you know, like, that was what it was, you know, really about.
1: Yeah. And so, what from your perspective, what would you say accounts for the, the the success of it? You know, the engagement in TED Talks is is and by which I mean TED Talks and or TEDx yeah. talks um, through YouTube and so on is it, the proliferation is extraordinary. What what in the end do you think accounts for its success and it, and it and its reach?
0: I have to really, you know, give credit to Chris Anderson, who really took this brand and took it from that kind of niche conference and had this vision way before other people, you know, was the head of TED for many, many years, still, I think, is one of their senior leaders. Um, The idea of giving away content for free online. No paywall, no restriction. That was, you know, think about 30 years ago, that was not what people thought the future was going to be, right? Everything was protected behind something. You weren't giving away your content. And I think to have that vision is part of it, is to have understood where the future is going. But I think the other thing is, is that it brought back storytelling. It brought back communication in a format that was accessible to everyone you know this is the criticism of TED and TEDx x talks I always think is so elitist where people are like oh you can't just have like a, a 12 minute talks about astrophysics or how what on earth could you learn about like I don't know climate change in 10 minutes and I think Why are you gatekeeping that information? No one says that you listen to one TED Talk and now you're like a bloody brain surgeon, right? But if you are interested in something, what better way than to engage with a world expert on that subject to help you into it, right? And whether that is a subject matter, like, you know, these things I've talked about, whether it's insights into the self, whether it's about business, whether it's about global issues, for me, it is TED... And TEDx talks create light bulb moments in people's brains. They open the door to things that have been locked off from loads, millions of people worldwide. You know, I think it's an incredible platform.
1: And so there's something about the accessibility yes. of the expertise, because part of the, 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 the culture and expectation around a TED Talk is that the content in there, no matter how seemingly complex or esoteric it may be, be 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 meaningful and engaging for a, for a lay listener. Absolutely. Right? And I
0: think it changed the way we communicate quite frankly. I think it took academics and it challenged them to not just create research that sits on a shelf that no one reads, but you know, where just think about it, we created a world where like neuroscientists and mathematicians and economists and Biologists have become superstars. Yes. You know, amazing. I love that. Like, let's have yes. more of that.
1: Yes. I yeah, was at Brené Brands, was a professor in social work. Social I work. Think, and, you know? and, and it's become a global figure. Yeah. <laughs> in I terms mean, in relationships and Dan understanding. Dan Gilbert, self. you know,
0: professor of psychology. Yeah. Dan yeah. Ariely. Like, we can keep going on. Yeah. You know, it, there are so many people that that brand has created, but also locally, mm. the idea that there are amazing people. This is what motivates us mm-hmm. here, that there are amazing people doing incredible work that you just haven't heard of. Yes, yes. You know, ideas that the world needs and we desperately need Ideas worth need spreading. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That we can go and find and put on this stage and amplify so that it's not just the people who are the best at like marketing and PR or the people who have the best like you know how to make the Instagram algorithm work for them that get the profile, but there are people doing great work and this allows it everyone to know it. And I love that.
1: Well, that leads very neatly on then to to the next area. I'd love to explore a bit more, which is from a curator's point of view. And of course, you have seen and assessed and and supported the development of countless speakers for the 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 TEDx mm. London platform and of course before that TEDx East End and as well as TEDx London Women and I've seen a number of those speakers on stage <laughs> and so on and it's just, you and and of course I have also benefited from that yeah that that journey and experience working uh, with you in preparation for the conference in 2018. If there's someone listening to this thinking oh, maybe one day I want to you know put something together for something like a, a, a TEDx conference yeah but I'm not quite sure really what it's about or how, how to go about it. What what would your best advice be for somebody who thinks it's something they might want to do, uh, probably has an idea of the kind of area or the topic they might want to speak on, but, but not much more than that. What, what, what would be your best advice?
0: I get asked this question all the time. I mean, by people <laughs> who say, I really, really, my life, my, my, who come up to me and genuinely say, you know, my professional goal is to, to be up on that stage. And part of me thinks that's awesome. You know, that feels like you've created a really accessible stage, one that isn't gate kept. And it feels like, like you said, you know, in in another episode, we'll be talking to Simon about the world championship of public speaking. And you talked about how it was, you know, everyday people, not just like the person who's scaled Mount Everest or gone to the moon or whatever, speaking. Mm -hmm. I think the idea that people feel like this, a sense of ownership and in a positive sense, like that they're part of the TED journey is really positive. Mm -hmm. I say this because I think that the the goal of being a TED or a TEDx speaker isn't the goal, is is kind of misguided. I think the the goal should be what I really want is to get my idea, my work, the thing that I care about, out to as many people as possible. And you said ampl- am- amplify, amplify being
1: a important part of your yeah. your mission. Yeah, and
0: so I always think if you want to be on that stage, you're you need to do really great work. You need to think about ideas that be- are, are generous, that benefit the world, that are worth spreading, and commit yourself to that work. You know, the best speakers are not on stage because they love speaking For in this context. They're on stage because their idea is more important than any fear or self-consciousness or nervousness they may have they're in service to the thing that they're trying to share and change in the world so i think shifting your focus from the goal to actually the purpose of why you want to do that creates the kinds of speakers that i see doing best on that stage
1: now of course there's some there there are many people who will be working in areas that are really quite specific right really quite niche maybe it's working with a particular uh, profile of individual or in a particular area of functional expertise or whatever so so uh, my my question then is what would your advice be for somebody who says well yeah i I, you know i've got expertise i know about this this and this and this is the work that i do and and have a view about the quality of that work but how could i possibly make that relevant and meaningful to a much wider audience People who may not be directly interested in or affected by that work. What what what's your experience of working with speakers who may have been in that position where yeah. they've got something very very specific which they've had to find a way to to to, to expand
0: out somehow. Um- it's so interesting you ask that question. So a number of years ago, one of the TED curators did a did like a Q&A, and there's things, things she said that just really stuck with me, which was that what surprised them the most when they started to put some of their talks online was that the more specific the talk, the better it did. The more views it got, the more people engaged with it. And it really made me think about how there there is this dual tension as a speaker that you need to hold you need to be relevant enough to your audience that they can engage with the topic. But you need to be specific enough that it feels tangible. And the mistake that people make is they just go too broad. In trying to make something relevant, they just go, they they pull the lens back, they go bigger and broader and more abstract and more abstract and more abstract. And they end up talking about nothing, right? So I think that if you're someone who works in a specific field, you've got to think to yourself like, what is the change I'm making here? What is the thing I'm doing here? What is the thing I want to share here? And yeah, maybe it's really specific to my field, but I need to talk about that and then I need to do the work to think about whether that is relevant to the wider world and how that's relevant to the wider world. I, I do believe deeply that anyone has the ability to give an incredible TED and TEDx talk, but I've come to realize now over a decade of doing this that not every idea suits this format and that has been a really hard realization for me to come to Mm -hmm. not every idea suits you know a maximum of 18 minutes on a red circle carpet in a monologue format and so you just have to ask yourself as a speaker and this is where I think Chris talks about like you know are you being generous as a speaker um I think that where that comes in where you Genuinely ask yourself, Am I giving something of value to my audience? And if the answer is like, no, then maybe this is not the idea that brings you to the stage.
1: And so, in terms of the specifics, then, and that, and that resonates so strongly that that need to be concrete somehow right. with what one's talking about so that people can actually really get a grip of something and then see the deeper truth or wider relevance of that particular idea and i still remember the talk given by the geologist who'd worked on the mission to mercury yeah i still remember that and it was it was was, was that sense of wonder that he clearly still has really hit me it's contagious right yeah absolutely absolutely so so therefore in terms of the actual process by which you uh, assess uh, who's right for the stage for a conference and then the actual journey of preparation to to start off with in terms of your assessment of how do you gauge whether or not a particular individual is is the right fit for a conference what are the considerations that play in your mind as a curator
0: this is so hard right because people feel like if they're not selected it's some kind of rejection of them and the idea and i just want to say at the top that that's not what it is right these things are so limited you know i've got 10 spots Every year, let's say for TEDx London women, and I have to curate 10 ideas around gender and intersectionality. There are like a thousand worthy, important ideas. So there, there's loads of things that come into play, and you have to keep this in mind. You know, what is, what is in the zeitgeist? Like, what are people talking about? What will people be talking about? What is in the news headlines? What are the conversations that are being had there? So there's that moment. Then there's the things of like, what is novel? um what is innovative what have people maybe not heard before, or not heard applied in a certain way? Then you've got this idea of like, is this just a highly engaging person? Like where the person has so much credibility and so much authority that you, that you could take any of maybe 10 ideas that they have and, and people will want to listen to it because every single one is valuable. Um, and so we look at these like different vectors. We like to think about it as like all of our talks are programmed on fitting into one or more of the following categories. They either shift people's knowledge, their attitudes, or their practice. So either they help the audience understand or learn something they didn't know before. They help move the audience in terms of their attitude about something that maybe they had some thoughts about before, but now they're, they've kind of changed their mind. Or it compels people to do something in their lives and the lives of others more widely, etc. A good talk can be one. It can be all, but it when we're curating, we're looking at a like a ha, making sure that there is a good mix. So it's not all just knowledge, knowledge, knowledge,
1: and it's not all action, 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 exactly. Action, action. Yeah, interesting, it, very interesting. Yeah, and, and so. And so therefore, in terms of the actual journey itself for speakers, and I imagine it's, it's very different, obviously, for different sure. speakers. Some have to go on a very significant development mm. journey for preparing a talk and others maybe not so much. But what would you say are the what, – what sorts of things stand out in your mind uh, as sort of checkpoints or right. you know, l- lines in the in the sand, if you like, when going through the development of a talk from first inception through to – delivery day
0: yeah and you know there's actually a really good ted talk on this by chris anderson (laughs) so i'd recommend everyone watch that um and i think simon you've mentioned this before as well is clarity right it's ideas worth spreading what is your idea worth spreading like the one idea keeping it specific i like to think of it in one of two ways i'd like to think you know what is that that through line that thing that ties everything together Mm -hmm. sometimes it's useful to think about um What is the, what is the thing, the message, the idea that you want someone walking away with remembering? Like, you know, when they show up at work the next day and they say, oh, you know, Simon, I heard this incredible talk and they said, you have to narrow that down. You have to get specific on that. And this is a very difficult process. I can spend months with a speaker. We can go around in circles on this. But if you do that, that's the foundation.
1: And, and that's interesting, that point about going around in circles, right? Because that, that's not necessarily a sign of ongoing failure before no, finally no, 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 somebody no. gets it right, right? That, I mean, that That's part of the journey. Is, it's kind it of not- like,
0: I always like to say that it's like peeling an onion, as if there was, like, imagine there's something in the middle of an onion. It's like peeling an onion. Sometimes you have to get through it. You have to go through the different layers before you can get to the thing. You couldn't have just gotten to the inside of it without that journey. But what it is, is, is challenging yourself to refine that and be clear on it. I think there's something else here that I actually first heard about when it came to writing. So Roxanne Gay talks about writing articles and opinion pieces. And she says to do something well, you have to believe that you will write again that you will write something an article whatever it might be in the future that this isn't just your only opportunity and I believe the same thing is true for speaking you have to believe that you will speak again so that you feel comfortable cutting things out so the clarity the one singular idea is one I think another thing that's really important is to understand what you're bringing to the table what you're bringing in terms of your perspective, in terms of your expertise, in terms of your background, but also in terms of your unique personality. You know, I could get anyone to talk about genetics. Why have I picked you? I could have anyone talk about business leadership. Why you? So just making sure that I think what you want to avoid is creating a talk that anyone else could pick up and deliver and it would still work. Yeah, which is where
1: the power of personal narrative can come in, right? Hugely, hugely, and and and, and I'm glad you referenced uh, this—a thing to avoid uh, being too generic and so on. So we talk quite a bit about the the do's, the do's, do's, do's. What about the don'ts? What are the what are the things that people should steer well clear of?
0: Classic, classic, elephant traps. Yeah, you know, this is a big one. I think there's a couple of things here. One is, I mean, this is a hard thing to not do, but I'm just going to say it. The speakers who I think... People often assume that the worst speakers are the ones who are super nervous or uh, maybe get very emotional. Nah, those people are great. It's the ones with the big ego that really don't resonate. So I don't know how you can stop having a big ego as a don't. That's why I say the best speakers are the ones who speak despite of their fear. Not because they love being on stage. Look, I love being on stage. There's nothing wrong with it. But... It's about the, the generosity.
1: Yes, right? yes. It's not about like the speaker being on a, a giant ego trip. Exactly. Yeah. I'm um, on the red carpet. Look yeah. at me.
0: There's one, <laughs> one of them is that. The second is to understand that, that giving a TED or a TEDx talk is an artificial experience. You are, when do you stand on stage unchallenged for 14 minutes and, on a circle carpet and a film by five cameras, right? So, which means the usual will not work. You might have to script this. You might have to practice this relentlessly. Like this is not your usual way of speaking. So if you're going to do something like this, the commitment is serious. And I think finally, the thing that really surprises people, and I think this is really, I didn't expect it. And, and it's definitely a don't. And this is not when it comes to um, what not to do if you want to give a, TED or a TEDx talk. This is a what not to do in terms of applying what you might see on stage to your own life. What you see in the videos, let's say, of TED or TEDx speakers is perfection. What people don't see is that I have a whole editing team, (laughs) right? We do post-production. TED does post-production. Those talks are edited. You cannot hold yourself up to that kind of impossible robotic standard what you produce to work online because people have short attention spans because it does have to be perfect is not the same thing that will resonate with someone in the room necessarily you know we work on how to bring those two things to life at the same time but I people say time and time again oh i always felt so intimidated by these talks because they seemed perfect
1: yeah they're so good they're so amazing that and no one that's one pauses, no also one forgets. the actual speakers themselves with that with the, the Th- that's the finished product of the speech that's been in development oh, for a long yes. time as well alongside the post production yes it's a it's a speech that's gone through all those ragged Spaghetti Junction phases, where Absolutely. it feels like a bit of a mess, before eventually getting to a position of yeah. character. I think with elite sports people as well, you see the finished performance. Oh, yeah. oh wow, they're just they're just so she's such a great runner. Yeah,
0: <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah. trained
1: really hard. Yeah. she's well, got amazing attitude. It's not to just her. like naturally. <laughs> yeah, she <can> just <laughs> pop up and just run a marathon that fast just for. The other yeah. thing
0: I would say, and this is applicable to both, if you're you know doing a TED or TEDx talk, or whether you're like um doing something else, is about how to use feedback effectively. Mm-hmm. The singular most destructive thing that I've seen happen when I'm working with speakers is where they have too much feedback from others. It's it's distracting. It pulls you off course. So you have to learn. Feedback is extremely useful. It's invaluable, in fact. But you have to use it effectively, right? It, I've seen speakers where we have a great, Like fourth draft, and then they send it to like their dad or someone, and it comes back and it's a different talk. I'm like, is your dad an expert on this subject? (laughs) Are they you? Why have you, you know? And and it happens. I've seen it with in a professional context. I've seen you know colleagues where they've sent a talk to another colleague, and that colleague has stripped all of this like amazing storytelling and personality out of the talk because that person is like I don't know a dry accountant or a lawyer or whatever it might be. So look. The feedback is extremely valuable, but at the right point. And I always tell people, we're both bad at giving it and, and asking for it. To get great, useful feedback, you have to ask for it specifically. You have to ask things like, where did I lose you in this talk? Were there too many examples? Was there enough? Did I make leaps in my logic? Those kinds of things as a speaker will give you insight into creating yes. a great talk.
1: Not, was it any good? Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. How subjective. How could I improve? Yeah. <laughs> and also because when we give feedback for people to people. when we, But also because when we give feedback to people, People have to feel like they have to find something wrong with it. Mm. That's not what you're asking yes. for. So these are the, these yeah. are some common mistakes that I think apply both to the TED stage but also more widely. That's
1: so, so valuable that. And the importance of having that filter right with the mm. feedback so that yeah. gonna be sooner or later there's gonna be feedback that contradicts yeah. another piece of feedback, right? Absol- oh, I
0: mean that's that's the real Yeah, yeah that's the real tough situation the speakers get them themselves into.
1: Mariam, thank you so much for sharing insights, experiences, and and advice from a TEDx curator perspective, and I, I, uh, I, I also know that the uh, that the experience of of helping to support speakers for the TED Climate Conference also you know, it sounds like quite a remarkable journey. So, um, really, really great tips for us to 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 consider take on board here in the in the development clarity of an idea, the development of that, being cautious about how you actually process feedback, and. Uh, and more so thanks so much marion and it's an indulgence for me as well to ask all those various questions that indulgence to ask to about talk about it <laughs> about ted and we'll speak soon you've been listening to speechless the podcast from storytelling experts marion Pascher and simon bucknell hit follow now to keep learning how to tell stories that change the world and if you enjoyed it please leave us a rating and review until next time speak
0: less say more